Hi folks, Bob Main here and welcome to episode 205 of today's Survival Show, where it's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have wherever you are. Welcome to a practical show, folks. I'm not some kind of a survival preparedness writer. I'm not some kind of an expert going around the country and the world, you know, on TV shows or giving speeches and things like that. I'm an everyday guy trying to stay as prepared as I can for what I think is about to come. This is a no tinfoil hat podcast. I don't go off into strange conspiracy theorists. I do think that some type of a partial collapse is coming, as Glenn Tate very eloquently and succinctly writes in his book series, 299 Days. So I'm kind of along that line of thinking. This episode is an interview with the founders of a company called Bug Out Truck. And so if you've been wondering how to equip your vehicle for bugging out, and, you know, folks, bugging out could also mean, for example, you got a weather event, you have a hurricane coming, and you need to get out, you need to evacuate. What's going to be in your vehicle? How are you going to equip your vehicle? It could be after some kind of a disaster happens and you want to leave for some reason. Now, bugging out's not my first choice. Bugging in is my first choice. But we've got to be prepared, right? We have to be prepared for just about anything. So, you might have to leave in your vehicle. How is your vehicle set up? Well, the guys at BugOutTruck.com, that's www.BugOutTruck.com, they do this for a living. Uh, They do some other things for a living, too, which you'll hear about in the interview. Zach and Jeff, the owners of BugOutTruck.com, dot com interview with me to talk about how to prepare your vehicle. Stay tuned. Well, my special guests for this episode, I've got Zach and Jeff from BugOutTruck.com. Welcome, guys. Well, thank you. Thanks for having us, Bob. No problem. You guys are in the southern part of the state of Washington. Indeed. How's the weather up there right now? Typical. Rainy, gross, and cold. Well, rainy, gross, and cold is typical for Washington and Oregon this time of year, isn't it? It is, man. There's no doubt about it. It's where we live. Well, the way I found out about you guys is through Glenn Tate, and you've prepared a vehicle for one of his team members, haven't you? We have done some work on it. I wouldn't say prepared, but uh, we're in the process of. It's kind of an incremental sort of a thing. Yeah, Bug Out Truck is the name of your company. I think it's pretty cool, and I've never had anybody talk about how to prepare their vehicles you know, for common-sense survivalism. So tell us about what you guys do. The intent or the goal, I guess, with this thing is to help somebody prepare their vehicle. Everybody's got an idea in the prepper community of how to prepare themselves or their homes or their families, but a lot of this uh, vehicle preparation comes down to being able to escape a certain circumstance and whatever that may be, whether it be weather or, uh, or whatever, whatever, there's so many options that you could, you know, we could talk about, but getting you and your family from one place safely to another and being able to survive along the way is the purpose of the bug out vehicle. 
Well, and that's so incredibly important. I mean, if you're bugging out, you're bugging out for a reason. Usually it's a reason where it's so bad, obviously you can't stay. And having your vehicle prepared, I mean, a lot of people are probably going to end up living in their vehicle for a while. That's absolutely the intent of this. You know, you can leave in your vehicle. You can go if you get stopped along the way, somehow inconvenienced, however that may go. You can simply survive in the woods because you'll have things like food and water purification, basic survival tools, uh, the vehicle itself, your shelter, heat, uh, just some of the primary basics, uh, defense, obviously, ways to mount and carry guns and probably larger quantities, ammunition. Um, it, it, that was the purpose of the vehicle. It's not necessarily just a simple means of transport, but it, it has to encompass everything that you could possibly need it to do on your journey, be that journey, you know, four hours or four weeks or whatever the the case may be. Yeah, well, okay, so you do that, bugouttruck.com. You guys do this out of your house or do you have a shop? What kind of setup do you have? We have a shop. Um, We've been actually doing this exact kind of thing, just not really with this intent for a little over 10 years now. Um, Our actual brick-and-mortar store is called The Toy Store, and it's really all, all we've ever done is just accessorize vehicles, but... Um, early last year, I went to uh, one of the local gun shows, and you know, I I went there with the intent of trying to find a gun rack for my truck. And you know, I'm walking around the gun show. Obviously, anybody there at the gun show, they're you know probably an owner of a gun, and they all got there by car. And I couldn't find a gun rack for a vehicle in the entire place. And you know, it just kind of started the wheels turning, and we we went from there. And we just kind of pushed through with the, you know, the, the merging of the, you know, the survivalist thought and the vehicle preparation thought. Yeah. Well, I think that's kind of neat. So people can find you at bugouttruck.com. Right. That's yeah. The, that's the web store. And if you go to bugouttruck.net, that is the, uh, the blog. Bugouttruck.net's the blog. Bugouttruck.com is the web store. And for those listening, I'll, I'll put links in the show notes for my podcast posting so people can just hit a quick link and get right there. So I wanted to ask you guys, both of you, a question before we get started talking about some of the details. What do you think or why do you think it's so important for people to prep their vehicle and what do you find that most people neglect? I think the most neglected thing would be, well, that's a tough one, um, their intent is to simply hop in the vehicle, turn the key, and drive away. And I, I would imagine that some of the overlooked items would be things like your personal things, uh, birth certificates and driver's licenses and savings histories and, you know, these kind of things that you can store in small digital devices that aren't necessarily cumbersome or large but uh, will be necessary. Uh, very common and overlooked type of circumstance. Communication is another one. Uh, we've got our basic CB, but... Like Zach, you know, he, he likes to uh, point people towards FMRS and, you know, and other means of communication that you might want to have other than just a CB radio. Ham. Uh, ham. I mean, if that's as far as you want to go. There's, we've got a couple in the, in the store now that we're uh, preparing an intent for, a, you know, a television series that we're uh, uh, looking to get involved in. And these are going to be a bit over the top from our typical sort of prep, but uh, one of them is an older era suburban. It'll have a quad on the roof of this thing that repels by means of winch. It has a radio-controlled helicopter with telemetry back into the vehicle. It'll have automated gun storage. It's uh, uh, it's a pretty <laughs> involved vehicle for sure, and that's the kind of thing that you're capable of doing that not everyone thinks about. 
Uh, yeah, I would have to say that's you know that that's not been in my thought lately. <laughs> that's pretty good. Well, what kind what kind of vehicle do you guys recommend for a bug out vehicle? You probably get that question a lot. We do, and that seems to be pretty much the most common topic when we, you know, especially during the interview process. I would have to say the easiest response to that would be two parts. First off, something that's common enough to be accessible for parts, not necessarily at your parts store because we don't know if we've got one or not. Uh, it's going to be something that's going to be common enough that parts are going to be interchangeable from one vehicle to another. So if it's a Chevy pickup, an F-150, a Jeep Wrangler, whatever it is that you would see a lot of that you could uh, essentially acquire parts for should you need to in a, in, in a difficult circumstance. And I think the second part of that answer would be something that you, the owner, are familiar with. Um, if for some reason your heart is set on Subarus or Hondas or Toyota specifically, and that's your experience and your history, I would tell you to lean towards something that you have a definite familiarity with because it gives you the ability to service that vehicle whenever you may need to. And find parts because you probably already know where to find parts for it. Doesn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. Zach, so do you, uh, do you get into some of the communications equipment? Oh, a little bit, yeah. Um, I have quite a bit of experience with, you know, the basic stuff like, you know, the CBs, the FRS, GMRS, radios, that kind of thing. I'm starting to get into the hams, but I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not uh, not really a radio guy yet. Um, but I'm getting there. I've got, a, got, a, got some learning curve to go with the, with the amateur radio side of things. Okay. Well, what's your specialty? I'm kind of just the idea guy. That's that's what it comes down to. Is it's one of those things where you know I'm the one with you know the military background, um, and I'm the one who basically started the, the this whole you know thing. So when it comes down to the actual prep, you know the prepper, the survivalist side of things, that's where you know I'm putting in the input, and then it's up to everybody else to actually make it a reality. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for your service. If you don't mind, tell us about your military background. I spent six years in the Marine Corps Reserve. Good. Excellent. Thanks for your service. I appreciate that. Well, thank you. I bet you probably learned some things from being in the Marine Corps Reserves that you incorporate into setting people's vehicles up. Absolutely. When when I was there, I was actually a, a motor vehicle operator, so I spent a lot of time inside a Humvees and 7 tons and um, when uh, you know when you're in a vehicle, it's a little bit different than being on foot as far as you know movement with other vehicles and that kind of thing. So for me, it's it was a, it was a pretty easy transition from you know from that to this. Good. When you get a little time, you might want to listen to the last uh, two or three episodes that I did because a lot of them, a lot of the subject matter was on ham radios. Oh, perfect. Yeah. So you said you weren't too much into ham, but you you do get people into. Uh, Family radio service and stuff like that and portable CVs, right? Correct. Okay. Now, I noticed on your website here, cargo management. That, that kind of, it's kind of intriguing. Talk about that. For some of the vehicles that we're setting up here, Bob, we've got, like the, well, the aforementioned Suburban and Jeep that we're doing uh, the initial prep on for this television episode. These things are going to have overhead cargo racks. The Suburban's actually going to have an additional unit into the exterior roll cage portion of this vehicle that's going to mount on the hood of the vehicle. Uh, inside the back of the same vehicle, we've got an over and under cargo slide system. Imagine like an enormous kitchen drawer type of thing that encompasses pretty much the entire rear compartment of this vehicle. Yeah. Um, and this, this all comes down to cargo management. There's a ton of interior space that a lot of people don't necessarily look towards. There's sections of the vehicle that you can actually remove. You know, the term we use here is sectioning out. 
uh, just dead spaces inside of sheet metal that you can put all kinds of fantastic storage in. Uh, under the hood of older vehicles is a wonderful place, too. You've just got mountains of space. You can put uh, service kits, toolboxes, additional supplies, you know, your basic motor oil, antifreeze, that kind of thing. Uh, cargo management is key. It's, it, when you think about a bug-out vehicle and you wrap your head around how much stuff physically has to go into it, the cargo management aspect of this becomes such a crucial matter that it, it just simply has to be addressed. Well, you not just getting all of the stuff in there. It's having a place for everything that you put in there so when you need it, you can find it quickly instead of just a pile of junk in the back. Yeah, and you can find it quickly. Well, see, this is kind of an intriguing subject to me. I'm glad you're talking about it because you mentioned under the hood of older vehicles. That makes a lot of sense because if you pop the hood of a lot of older vehicles, the engine doesn't take up nearly as much space as today's modern-day vehicles do. True. But what, it, let's talk about some of the modern vehicles people are driving these days. Give us some examples of places that you can section out and store stuff. Uh, behind a lot of the newer Pickups specifically, most people drive crew cabs, extended cabs at the very least. You know, in the old days, everything was a standard cab truck. Now you've got a tremendous amount of interior compartment area, I guess, for lack of a better term. And if you look in simple areas like behind the seats, under the seats, inside the door cavities, you'll find that you just simply have open area. Uh, You have to be pretty creative about how you section and cut and, well, generally... uh, (laughs) savage somebody's car because you want it to look as though it hasn't been disturbed. It's not necessarily complete James Bond type of stuff, but that's the theory that we're trying to achieve. Um, There's just, wherever you can find a dead space is is a fantastic place to create storage. Under the sides of a bed, per se, you look under the back of a pickup and you'll look under the sides of the bed and you'll see several feet of just dead area. Those kind of things can be made into whatever storage area you deem necessary. Yeah, and I want to to encourage people to go to the cargo management page on your uh, store, bugouttruck.com. you got some nice pictures there of some of the stuff that you do. I like that. And we should have a whole lot more visual image stuff to come as we continue to build these things. Because like I was saying, these first two vehicles that we're building with the intent of television are going to be you know, essentially over the top and probably far more than most people want. Uh, not all of us envision things like exterior roll cage, the term would be exoskeletal type of thing with you know roll bars on the outside of a vehicle, but that creates a phenomenal amount of space when you incorporate that with uh, storage baskets and cargo, um, just capacity and area in general. Yeah, let me ask you a question about your um, your freezer and fridge that you got on there. Where does that typically go? There's, if you're talking about the ARB, there's a couple of companies that actually make that. We, uh, we need to add another one to the website. That it, You're going to find that usually inside just simply because it's a very expensive piece of equipment. You don't want it out to be either stolen or damaged. Right. It doesn't necessarily take up a ton of space, but some of the modern compressors in these things uh, are incredibly low energy consumption. The older stuff, I had a couple old Coleman versions and things that would keep things cold or hot depending on how you wanted to invert the plug, and they worked fantastic. problem was that they consumed so much energy, a typical car battery couldn't support them uh, overnight, you know, per se. 
the uh, newer things, the, the piston designs and things, and these new coolers are so incredibly efficient. You can run these things off of a single automotive battery for a couple of days without ever starting your car and not kill the battery. That's what I was wondering. It, it'll really last a couple days? Absolutely. The, uh, the technology that they've done, I mean, rather than the old versions of compressors, these are small, uh, I guess, horizontally opposing pistons inside of a casing that just simply on a magnet drive uh, uh, operate back and forth. And the, the energy consumption by comparison is not much more than, say, a dome light. Yeah, what I like, now we're talking about the 50-quart model, right? I'm not necessarily uh, size-specific because, truthfully, the compressor and the cooler arrangement, I don't know changes that dramatically from cooler to cooler. It's okay. just the storage capacity of, of whatever model you're buying. Well, what I like, I want to point out to people, is this one you're showing on your site. This is amazing. It'll, it says in 90-degree heat, it will keep going for, what does it say here, 12-volt power source? Uh, okay. Let's see. Um, what was I? I was reading something here, and I, now I just lost my place. Okay, maintain sub-freezing temperatures in 90-degree heat. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, w- without without stress, obviously it's going to run more consistently and consume a little bit more energy. Yeah. But like compared to some of the older versions of in-vehicle coolers, like the efficiency range of this thing is phenomenal. There, uh, um, it's 1.3 amps per hour from a 12 volt power source. Then 1.3 amps. That's nothing. Um, That's a very low current draw. It's, it's tremendously efficient by comparison to the old ones, which were probably closer to 15 amps. Yeah, uh, yeah. which would kill a car battery in a single day without without question. You know, so like I said, the the ability for this thing to work. If you look at some of your larger solar panels, that uh, that's another thing we're mounting on the roof or not the roof, but excuse me, the hood of that suburban that we were talking about. That will be located underneath the uh, cargo rack. So as soon as you achieve your destination, you can empty the rack and then those two solar panels, which encompass the majority of the hood of a rather large vehicle, uh, in theory, could keep your batteries charged for simple things like your iPad and your cooler and such without needing to run your vehicle you know, consistently and consuming all of your very precious fuel to maintain a charged, and, uh, a charged system and, a, and an effective cooling source. Yeah, so when somebody brings a vehicle to you, are they typically bringing you a truck or a Jeep or an SUV? What are they asking you to set up, a van? Man, the thing, I, I wish I could give you a firm answer. We, well, One of the first ones we did several years ago, and it was kind of one of those things that started us on our course, was it was an old Astro pop-top all-wheel drive van that we had to half-engineer a lift kit for. So we created a lifted uh, four-wheel drive Astro van on rather large uh uh, TA radials and such, and that was this guy's vision. And the uh, next picture we got was in the middle of the desert, and he was out there for weeks at a time. Uh, there, so there's one. The other one I'm doing is a Jeep Wrangler. We've got a Suburban. Pickups are very common, but it's not uncommon to hear people say, hey, how can I set up my Subaru? How can I set up my Honda Odyssey or whatever? Uh, it, the, it's so difficult to just point your finger and say, hey, the, you know, the best truck in the world is an F-150, when it may not be, it's like like I was saying earlier, it really comes down to the individual and what they're used to and what they're familiar with. So we could be asked to set up anything from a Volkswagen Beetle to uh, uh, an aircraft carrier. Who knows? Yeah. Does any of this stuff that you do, does it decrease the fuel efficiency at all? Oh, of course it will, but not usually to a, a level uh, that, that's going to 
steer you away from that vehicle. You, you know, if you have a 4,500-pound car, vehicle, truck, van, whatever, 5,500 pounds, and you add 1,000 pounds to it, you're really not going to noticeably diminish its fuel economy. Yes, maybe some. You might lose a mile or two per gallon on a 15-mile-per-gallon you know, vehicle, but certainly not enough to dissuade you from doing that vehicle. And I see you got a nice device for some fuel storage, five-gallon fuel storage. We do other things, too. Um, with, with most of the vehicles that we're going to be outfitting, we will actually do more uh, fuel efficiency type things on the vehicle also. So, you know, with like later model diesel pickups, we can do intakes and exhaust and programmers and essentially bring back whatever lost fuel mileage that we would have lost by adding all of the extra weight to the vehicle. Yeah, good. Good stuff. Um, We're going to take just a brief break, guys, and then we'll come right back in just a few minutes, okay? Gladly. Okay, during the break, I've got a special message from a listener that I want to share with you. I am in my mobile studio cruising down the freeway in my car, but don't worry about this because I've got this um, these notes taped right here to my dashboard, and I can glance over at them, and I'm on the open freeway, so it shouldn't be a problem here. I can do this very safely. been doing it now for a while. Uh, Mexican Joe is the handle that he uses on our forum. He sent, or he put a post on the forum. This is on the forum, so he put it out in the public. So I assume that he doesn't mind this being public since he put it out on the, on the forum. Well, this is a terrific example of why you should prepare. Listen to this. Mexican Joe writes, I went through a very heartbreaking divorce a few years ago, and it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. When I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, I found a focus that did more for me than anything. A buddy of mine had been trying to get me to read Patriot by James Wesley Rawls. I had been wanting to have a garden and have always been into guns and shooting and hunting, so he figured that would be good for me. Wow, was it ever. I now read and put into practice everything I can. I started out with my food and supplies storage. I needed a focus and a goal, and the education I got was just what I needed. Within a year, I was laid off. Huh. Happens to a lot of people these days, doesn't it? Within a year, I was laid off and had a problem finding a job. I've been in the same industry for 20 years, and I'm what's called overqualified. I did side jobs as day labor and was a ranch manager to cover my rent and utilities. Money was really tight. The money I made was only enough to cover milk and fresh food for my twins when I had them and gas to get to my next job. This and my cell phone bill was all I could do. I was lucky my vehicle was purchased used and paid off. Boy, that's a good point right there, Mexican Joe. That's why I drive two used vehicles paid off my food stores and skills got me by I hunted and fished for most of my meat and used my stored pantry food to cover the rest my hard times lasted over six months but my preps got me by times got better and life is still up and down but when it's good 
my preps increase. When money is tight, I go through my literature and videos that have taught me so much. It only takes time to put into practice skills such as rocket stoves and animal cleaning, gardening, wood splitting, small livestock raising, and such. Now get me by, and they're well parts of my life and my preps and prep training. I hear people say that if the stink hits the fan, they're going to start a garden and get some animals. Every spring, I buy a few fruit fruit trees and have a small orchard for the future. When the stink hits the fan, you need to already have your plan, not start working on it. Okay, let me read that again. When the stink hits the fan, you need to already have your plan, not just starting it. Wow, good point, huh? Gardening's not easy, and it takes skill and practice. Rabbits and chickens take experience. I've lost more good, I've lost more garden goods and animals than I have harvested due to the learning curve. You can't eat seeds for long if your stink hits the fan or whatever happens. You're not going to be able to buy animals and seeds because they'll be unavailable, or you won't have the money to start. I now have a small garden that does well in the warmer months, and I'm working on. Learning cold weather gardening. There are these are all things that my ex-wife did not want me to do because she didn't want to think about the what if. Oh man, I'm going to read that again, okay? Because isn't isn't this common? Isn't this common for those of us who are preppers? This, this is pretty much what we have to struggle with. I'll read that again. These are all things that my ex-wife did not want me to do because. She didn't want to think about the what if. Wow, Joe, that was a great that was a great thing for you to write right there. I think a lot of people can relate to that. He continues, I love to cook and I have a nice variety of herbs that I planted on my property. I love to make my food taste great a little at no cost and not rely on the grocery store. A friend of mine says that I'm consumed by prepping. To me, it's a lifestyle, and training is my hobby. I read everything I can find and practice everything I train to see if I can make it work. My stress is down even when work is. If work is slow, I have something to do at home to help me do more with less. Being single can suck, but I have a great prepper family. And most get-togethers include training and eating are now to low-cost preps. Prep away. And that's the end of his post. Uh, Mexican Joe, that's great. Folks, you can go to www.todayssurvival.com, click the forum button, join the forum. You can read his entire post. I left some of it out just in the essence of time. But wow, wow, Mexican Joe, that... That is a terrific post. I wanted to share that with listeners. If you'd like to join our forum, by the way, please send me an email after you register and give me your username. Tell me what you used to sign up. I have to approve every applicant because that's how I keep spammers off the forum. So my email is bob at todayssurvival.com. Hey, don't forget about Glenn Tate's books. The fifth book is coming out later this month. The 299 Days series is phenomenal. You can buy it right from my website. I would appreciate it if you want to buy any of his books. Please go to todayssurvival.com. Go to the recommended books page. Buy Glenn's books through my Amazon Associates program. You'll help support the show. If you like the work I do here, 
you'll help support the show. And anything else you buy from Amazon, as long as you enter Amazon through one of my links, anything else you buy, uh, I will earn a small fee. Amazon will take care of me on that. And that's your way to help support the show. And also, quite a few of you have been investing in my Survival Champions Club. Thank you very much. It's a couple of special podcasts that I have put together for you. The Survival Champions Club podcast. It features John Neusser on self-defense training and Glenn Tate on part two of building a prepper team. So if you like to build a prepper team, uh, you remember that podcast I did several weeks ago where I had him on the show talking about building a prepper team. He expanded more on that subject. That's available on the Survival Champions Club podcast, and that's a way for you to help support the show as well. All right, let's get back to the interview with the guys from BugOutTruck.com. All right, back with me, Zach and Jeff from BugOutTruck.com. Welcome back, guys. Thank you. Okay, so before the break, we were uh, you guys were talking about some of the features and some of the products you guys put in the vehicles, but um, talk a little bit more about what you see people sometimes neglect when they're setting up their vehicle. More, more than anything, what I, I would see is the actual personal items, just Things like everybody wants to go and they want to get a winch and big wheels and tires and lights and all of all the cool looking stuff, but it's that stuff is not going to keep you alive. Um, first and foremost, I mean, if you're looking at just like the five basic survival needs, you're going to want to look at water. If you're in an arid environment, you're probably going to want a lot of water storage. If right. you're somewhere like us in Western Washington, where there's water everywhere, you probably want to look at something more like a filtration system. Yeah, so you can filter whatever kind of bad water you might encounter. Exactly. Uh, that makes sense. And I suppose, you know, food, a lot of people, that's one of the basic five. People forget that a lot. Right, right. Now, one of the challenges a lot of us have with our vehicles that we're going to use if we have to bug out is preserving that food. And that's why before the break, I was asking you questions about your your fridge. Right, and that's that's a good way to go. Um when it, if it was a really bad situation, you needed a bug out. I mean, in a, in a perfect world, you would already have a place. You'd already have a destination. You got to get from you know your work or house to your bug out location, whatever it may be. So, if that's the case, you're probably already going to have most of that stuff stored and ready to go at your location. Yeah. Basically, when we look at the bug out vehicle, it's just going to be a force multiplier. So, if you imagine, you know, what one person could carry in a backpack on his back from point A to point B. And then you look at one, you know, what one person could carry in a vehicle. It is amazing the difference just because you have a tool at your disposal to be able to extend your, you know, extend your distance, shorten your, you know, your, your uh, drive time or your, your uh, movement time. And your actual load carrying capacity is in, in incredibly more than it would be than if it was just you on foot with a backpack. Yeah, and there are some people that have a location to go to, and then there's some that don't. There's some that are, you know, maybe for because of some weather event that's come through, they got to get out, they got to load their vehicle and get out quickly, and they might not be real sure where they're going. Hey, you're absolutely right. It could simply, you know, other than your ideal location, you may have to change plans. Uh, the other thing is, is the route that you've chosen may not simply be available. You may have to spend some time off-road, and that's where some of these these basics come into play as far as like Zach was mentioning with the bumpers and winches and uh, the the ability to get someplace but we're building these things not necessarily for one individual 
it's very common that we have a wife or a child, and it seems stupid, but you, you, you have to remember something dumb like salt and pepper, uh, you know? So we have to think about all of this sort of stuff as we're doing this. Uh, fishing gear, hunting capacity, you know, far beyond just the water you know, purification, which, granted, we don't have to eat nearly as much as we have to drink, but it's certainly a consideration when we're building these things. We want to encompass as much of the needs as as we possibly can in one vehicle. Well, thanks for reminding me about salt and pepper. <laughs> Silly as it may sound, some guys may feel they have to pack that bottle of rum. Who knows what it might be, but we kind of want to have a space for it. For me, I'm going to throw peanut butter on that list. Absolutely. Because <laughs> I'm a peanut butter addict, so uh, i got to make sure I get that in there, too. <laughs> It may not come in a ration pack, so there you go. <laughs> well, now, I, I'm also noticing you guys uh, set up a lot of GPS and navigational instruments, too. Talk about those, if you don't mind. There's With the GPS navigation, there's two main ways to go. There's going to be, like, your traditional outdoorsman style, which is going to be a handheld. Um, and generally, those are going to be more apt to doing things off-road. The other option would be like an in-dash or uh, something that sticks you know, on the windshield, something like a Garmin or a TomTom or something like that. Those ones are going to be able to get you through traffic, you know, get you out of suburbia. Um, but once you actually get you know, off the beaten path, you're going to want to switch to something more, you know, more apt for the outdoors just because you know, once you get off the beaten path with a TomTom, you're going to be more lost than if you were just following a normal old map. And, okay. and speaking of that, that, that's always a great idea, too, because, you know, when you are looking at these things, it's, it's you know, two is one and one is none. So you always want redundancy. So you, you won't always be able to rely on, on electronics. So something as simple as a compass and a map of your general area is always a good idea, too. Yeah, I've talked about that before, and that's something a lot of people forget. You know, a, a printed map on paper and a compass can pay off big time. Just like Grandma used to have, man, and as simple as it sounds, it is absolutely necessary because you honestly truly don't know what you can count on because you can't foresee the circumstance. That's the entire purpose of what we're doing. And I always encourage that not only have a map, but have a map with three or four different routes uh, out of your area and to where you want to go, all highlighted and ready to go. Right. Certainly, and a familiarity with your independent geography is certainly going to give you a, an advantage but once you leave your specific area you know, we have a county that we're very familiar with i can take you virtually anywhere you want to go without hitting a public road in my part of the world but say i'm crossing a state line and i'm going somewhere else it's impossible for any one person to truly know the western half of the united states by back roads and logging access so these kind of things are absolutely uh, a requirement to have to get from point A to B. One, yeah. of those, one of the other things that I just want to throw out there for any of the listeners that, that are interested in this, one thing that I've found to be incredibly helpful is if you visit, you know, in, in Washington, it's actually the Department of Natural Resources, but, you know, whatever the equivalent is in your state, they usually have maps of everything. Yeah, they do. Roads, other access roads, what's gated, what's not gated, that kind of thing. And it's going to be a lot more comprehensive and a lot more useful for these kind of particular situations than something that you're going to buy at the gas station. Yeah, the state DNRs, they do have pretty comprehensive uh, maps. When I was up in Wisconsin living, we used to do that all the time, go down to the DNR and get a map of just about anything we wanted to get. Exactly. 
Yeah, yeah. absolutely helpful, man. It, it, like they say, you know, you, you can't have too much information when it comes to something like this. Being informed is uh, paramount to surviving. Well, one of the things that I've noticed in listening to you guys talk, checking out your website and stuff like that, if people get their vehicle set up with a lot of the stuff you provide, even if there's no emergency, this is cool stuff to just have in a vehicle, even for camping trips, hunting trips, vacations, stuff like that. You're absolutely right. The purpose of the Suburban that we're building and the reason that he picked this specific range and year model vehicle uh, was, yes, I want to be prepared. It's not necessarily an if. Something is eventually going to happen. Who knows what it could be? A weather system, a seismic event, a military conflict. You really can't foresee the future. Uh, that's why you are prepared. But the purpose of, of what we're doing with this thing and, and the, the cool part of it is uh, first guy here lives in Arizona. I was mentioning earlier that you kind of want to build this vehicle with the intent of your geography and have an idea of how you're going to survive in any given circumstance. But his purpose for this thing is he wants to use it and take the family and go play in the woods, ride quads, go camping, and just simply have the coolest truck on the block. However, not everybody needs to know that with a twist of the key and 30 seconds of prep time, this guy's off and he's in a different part of the world. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So, um, you know what? Something else I just noticed. Uh, I'm looking here at your blog, bugouttruck.net. I want to encourage people to check that out. You got some nice pictures on there. I see one of them that uh, you're installing a, an HD bumper on a Super Duty. Sure. That is really, truthfully, Bob, is our daily grind. That is the kind of thing that we do here. Uh, that's how we pay the bills. That's our that's our day-to-day operation. Exactly things like that. We've accessorized vehicles here daily for 10 years, running boards and step bars and winches, bumpers, basic electronics, tons of lighting. Uh, that's kind of the, the segue to what we have become. Yeah, I would encourage people to check out your blog. It's a very good one at bugouttruck.net. And the latest post you've got on there is about a vehicle that you're building for a a TV production company. Talk about that as much as you can. It's not intended necessarily as the production company. It's a customer build. Uh, They'd approached us in November uh, after following Zach's blog for a little bit and thought that the the theory of building bug-out vehicles as a reality television series was truly interesting to them. Uh, It took us a couple of months of playing around negotiation. We signed a contract with them, and now we have the intent of actually producing these things for a reality TV series uh, just to go on for episodic uh, full-season television. That being said, I just kind of want to jump in here. Uh, if any of the listeners are interested, um, on the, the first full build that they do, you know, in w- with the intent of the TV deal going on, and we're going to give huge discounts to with some of the first customers just to try and get this off the ground, so we have enough stuff to, to shoot for TV. Yeah. Well, when that becomes available, when that's released, let me know about it so I can get an email and a post out to listeners so they can start watching that. Oh, absolutely, and, and hopefully it'll be uh, public enough where it'll, be, you know, that, that's the idea, is that it'll be advertised to death, uh, the negotiations with a real TV network, so that's kind of a cool theory for us. We're trying to get to the point where we can just hit a primetime slot right out of the gate. Obviously, that's everybody's intent. We can all hope for the biggest uh, reward, obviously, 
but that that's what the production company is is doing right now is trying to find the most appropriate network for what it is that we're trying to do. Yeah, that's good. One of you earlier in the last segment before we went to the break, one of you mentioned, I can't remember which one, solar panels on top of the vehicle. Talk a little bit about that. The solar panel is one of those overlooked items that you were alluding to earlier. We go out there, we have a, uh, a, a very specific amount of things like fuel. We can't just run our cars night and day to charge batteries to run our electronics. Uh, the bigger the solar panel, obviously, the more energy it's going to produce. And some of the newer stuff from these companies that we deal with are becoming uh, kind of like the refrigerator, uh, tremendously more efficient. We can get a lot more energy out of a given space of a solar panel than we ever could 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, with a couple of panels large enough to, say, fill the hood of your vehicle like we're going to do on this particular car, it could pretty much sustain the electrical needs of that vehicle and simple things like your refrigerator and your communication, be it a cell phone, your iPad, whatever it is that you want to run. Uh, hopefully entirely without actually ever having to start your car if you're just stuck in the woods for a week or two waiting for a road to clear. Yeah, that's neat. I like that. That's yeah. pretty good. You know, because that'd be my main concern is how am I going to power all this stuff? Exactly. You can't, like I say, you can't just fire up the engine and run it incessantly because then all of a sudden you realize that the day that the, the availability becomes open to leave, you got no more fuel. Right. Then you're out, you're out of gas and then now you got a bigger problem. Exactly. Now you're a walking again. Yeah. So these solar panels. So that's that's an overlooked item. That's something that people need to strongly consider. Along with with the the solar panels, I would say redundant batteries is, is also a great way to go. Is you know wire up an extra one or two deep cycle batteries in your vehicle. So if you need to run you know a cooler or charge some things or even things like power tools, you can do it. And you always have a hot battery to start your truck. And I'm sure you can help people with wiring up batteries too. Sure, absolutely. And some of the once again, we're back down to the technology thing. Even in an environment where it may not be available, we can certainly capitalize on it today. Some of the newer battery theories, uh, Odyssey for one, they use things like pure virgin lead, and they use fiberglass uh, gel impregnated cloth to control it. The problem with some of these batteries is, is as they vibrate, the lead actually begins. To sort of delaminate and fall to the bottom of the cell, and then your your structure begins to lose what's called a cycling capacity, and you go from having so many amperes per hour of reserve capacity, and that begins to degrade rather quickly. That's why your typical over-the-counter, you know, I don't want to point names, but uh, your typical battery doesn't have the capacity that you think it should, especially for its dimension. Uh, some of these smaller batteries, their group sizes will be upwards of half of a comparable car battery and have twice the capacity. We can take two of these units and put them in the spot where your one car battery is and give you two to three times uh, the electrical energy and capacity that you're used to having. Yeah, that's neat. That's good. Um, you know, something else I've noticed, your severe weather disaster kits. Man, you guys have a pretty, you have a pretty comprehensive setup here. I, I like this. Uh, I like these, especially these two-person, three-day emergency preparedness and severe weather disaster kits. It's, uh, in my opinion, they're, they're a good way to start. I mean, if you don't have anything and you want to you get a jump start, they're a good way to go. But That's what I was going to ask. For, for any any of your listeners that that are just getting into prepping, just do it yourself. Get a get a backpack, 
and just start thinking about, you know, what you would need and what you already use on a daily basis and build it yourself because then you're going to be a lot more familiar with what's actually inside, how it works, and how to use it. Well, I do that. I do that. But if somebody is looking, as a matter of fact, I would urge people to go to the uh, the emergency uh, back or the emergency pack listing on your site and take a look at the list of what's in there because I would say that's a pretty good list if people are going to build it themselves to have that kind of stuff in there. Yeah, that's and, and if you do buy one, it's the great you know mother-in-law pack. <laughs> <laughs> that's good i like it i like it the mother-in-law pack here well i don't know man this would this would keep her alive i don't know if i want to do that or not uh, yeah, uh, never, mind. never mind yeah scratch that it might not be a good idea because this is a this is what what you need to stay alive right <laughs> uh but i'll link to that that's that, that's good stuff on there um you know that list alone is is worth looking at the idea is to try and be as informed as possible and beyond just building these things for customers for, you know, the, the, the intent of profit. Uh, Zach's intent with a lot of this thing to begin with with the blog was just simply assisting people in information capacity uh, based on his former service. He's been stuck in the middle of nowhere with virtually nothing for long enough time to learn that you probably would want something, you know, this X or that Y to, to make your life a little bit more livable for a given duration. Yeah. Well, Zach, you, you've done a good job. I mean, this is pretty comprehensive. Well, I try. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I could just, I can picture one of your decked out vehicles. I'm looking forward to this reality TV show so I can see what you guys built. We're excited about it. Yeah. And let's get back to communications here for a minute because you, you brought that up in the beginning. Are you a big fan of portable CBs? Absolutely. Tell us why. In the days before cell phones, it was, you know, the primary means of communication. Um, you know, actually, this would probably be a, a, good, a good question for Glenn, too, because he explains this quite well. In an end-of-the-world type scenario, right, if we're looking at some kind of grand government takeover, they're going to try and take over most means of communication. The one thing that you that that the government will always try and do is you know supply things, and in this country things are supplied by truck, by you know semi truck and trailer. Right. That is going to be the last thing that that, that they're going to control and, and try and shut down with these CDs because they need them just as much as everybody else. Basically, any any communication method is probably going to be one of the last things they try to shut down, right? Right. And with the exception with, of cell phones. Well, correct. And with CDs, they are a pretty limited range, you know, led somewhere between three and maybe ten miles. But that actually gives you an advantage if you are in, you know, your bug out location and you have a small community because it gives you it gives you a pretty decent amount of operational security just because you're not transmitting to the entire world. Yeah, I was. You know what? That's something I thought of. It could be an advantage to have limited range. It, it is. It, it really is. If if you're in one of those situations. You're probably going to be with a group of people that you already know and trust, and past that, you're probably not going to want to try and get to know and trust other people. Right, and I don't want them listening in on me either. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay, and you got a lot of good stuff here, but there's also there's tons of them out on the market. But I just don't want people to neglect communications in your bug-out vehicle. That's uh, probably one of the most important things. 
and it should be truly at your choosing. If you truly want something that's long range, that that is you know something you can uh, certainly acquire. But like Zach was saying, you know, let's go back to your theory of you know that your your bug out vehicle can be a fantastic family oriented camp truck if that's what you want to call it. Um, your, your communication stuff in our part of the world, just you know, our general geography, we spend a lot of time on logging access roads that are either privately owned or state owned and still have access to a lot of commercial traffic. And when you're on these things, you have a couple of channels that you monitor pretty frequently to find out if there's, you know, a 185,000 pound truck coming around the corner right directly in your path. Yeah, and it would be great. I mean, if you're on a trip, you can throw somebody a portable CB and say, let's talk on channel whatever or two-way radio and say, let's keep in touch this way. Yeah, or just the straight-up practical use. You take your vehicle, you go out in the middle of somewhere camping, and you have a catastrophic breakdown, and it's something that you can't fix by yourself, and you're out of cell phone range. You always have that, that handy-dandy channel 9, and you can call until somebody answers. And generally on channel 9, somebody will answer. Yeah, and that's the key. Um, a lot of people may not be thinking about that. You know, you could be out of cell phone range. I mean, how often are we out of cell phone range? I was just out of range today for a little while. Um, and uh, it's it's pretty easy to get out of cell phone range. Absolutely. I, I live in a reasonably metropolitan area, but inside my building with a second ceiling, I walk in the bathroom, fella, I am out of cell phone range. It sucks. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and especially if you're if you're camping, hunting, fishing, whatever. Absolutely. Uh, and you're right. Throw on Channel 9, and you know you got 3 to 10 miles you can talk to people. Right. Passers-by that you know, they would be in, inside, of, uh, inside of CB range, but they might not necessarily see or hear you otherwise. Yeah, the last thing I want to talk about, if you don't mind, before we wrap this up, is your first aid and fire signal stuff. Okay. Uh, what do you recommend, first of all? I mean, you probably get this question a lot, too. What kind of a first aid kit should I have in my vehicle? love to address that one. I think that one truly depends on the level of experience and capacity you have as an individual. Uh, my wife, uh, her mom are reasonably experienced medical uh, type of folks, so they have uses for things like sutures and needles and higher level uh, first aid care. If you don't know what you're doing, probably not a great idea. You're probably going to be a Band-Aid and gauze kind of guy. I really, truly feel that whatever your capacity is should dictate what your first aid kit should look like. Well, good point. Tailor it to your skill level. Sure. Exactly. If you if you give Joe the plumber, you know, a suture kit, he's probably going to do more damage than he is good. You're going to be <laughs> ugly. No, what are you doing? <laughs> You're going to be ugly, man. That's what it comes down to. <laughs> you know, when you said Joe the plumber, I was envisioning that guy uh, during the presidential campaign four and a half years ago. There, Remember that guy? <laughs> but but I see what you mean about that. Yeah. Going to suture his problem close. I get you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks for a good laugh. But uh, but you know that might be something else that a lot of people are not thinking about is is first aid and uh, and signaling equipment, fire equipment too. And, and once again, with all of these things that that we point out and mention. Keep in mind, and as the way you phrased it was beautifully, we need to tailor this thing to an individual skill level. Do stuff that you're comfortable with, that you're familiar with, and you're confident in using in any given circumstance or environment. 
Yeah. Because if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't if you can't use it, you don't have the skill level to use it, it's completely useless and it's been taking up space. Absolutely. And yeah. when you do need it, you're going to try and figure it out. Now it's taking up precious time when you need it the most. Yeah, and that's not the time to try to figure something out. Absolutely not. One last thing before I let you go. You guys have on here on your website a lightweight multi-purpose shovel. That is cool. You know what? I bet you that's an often forgotten item. Just a, a shovel. It's, it's one of those things that, that is absolutely necessary when you need one. It's one of those things that if you get in a bad situation, you don't want to try and be out there with your pocket knife digging a hole. <laughs> you yeah, can take okay. your car out. You can defend yourself with it. It seems silly, but it's one of the most multi-purpose tools on the planet. It's a great weapon. Absolutely. It, it can be a really good weapon if you know what you're doing with it. Well, guys, this is good. Thank you. Um, I think for a lot of people, we answered a lot of questions. They can always check your website. And on your blog, there's a way they can yeah, there's a way they can contact you on your blog too, isn't there? Correct. Yeah, I just hit that right now. Any questions, comments? Okay, Zach at bugouttruck.com. That's my email address. Yeah. So go to bugouttruck.net and click his contact contact us link and they can email you questions. Because I'm sure there'll be people that'll have questions about this. I would imagine. We hope so. <laughs> oh yeah, there will be. There'll be some more. Gentlemen, thanks. I appreciate your time. Thank you for talking about how to set up vehicle. First time I've had somebody like that on my show. Bob, I appreciate you having us, man. It's been a lot of fun, and hopefully we can do it again sometime. I would like to do it again. Matter of fact, let's see how much of a response and questions come from this, and I'll be emailing you guys to do it again. That would be great, man. Have a great day. Thanks for having us again. Take care, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Well, many thanks to Zach and Jeff from BugOutTruck.com. Thank you for giving me your time. There's nothing I can add to that, folks. That was very well done. So get your vehicles ready in case that day comes, and check out their website at www.BugOutTruck.com. Well, that concludes this week's message, folks. I'm Bob Main. Thanks for listening to another episode of today's Survival Show, where it's my goal to help you do what you can with what you have, wherever you are. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.